I'm probably the most tired person here this morning. I woke up real early. And of course, our time zone is a little bit different from yours. But I've been waking up early all week. So I, I told somebody today, a couple different people that were, that were texting me, that my body's going to be all confused when I get home. And I'll be sleeping in and wondering why I can't wake up. Now that we're in this uh, more of a Western time zone. What is this called here? Mountain, t- mountain zone? Mountain, mountain time? Anyways, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I, I have the uh, distinct duty to do my very best to try to keep you awake. But I want to do more than that. Uh, we have had a tremendous week. And we have been flooded with great information and inspiration. It's not just information, it's inspiration. And anything that comes out of the Word of God is is inspiration. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so, uh, of course, our our topic is, is bottomless. There's so much to be talked about and so much to get into and study. And I, I want to do my very best. It's been, it's been good to be with Brother Estes and his family this week and good to be. I just appreciate Brother and Sister Metzger and the um, accommodations there at the house and all the labor um, several times as I've gone down to get coffee in the morning. Sister Debbie's already up and stirring and moving and busy. And, um, and uh, today was no different. And so I appreciate the labor that's gone into it. Uh, Sister Leah, all the work that you've done this week has not gone unnoticed. I love this church from the bottom of my heart. And I don't mean to get too emotional, but I, I have such a deep, deep love for the people at Sun Valley Church. Um, and uh, I've prayed for you down through the years. Our friendship, as Brother Mike said, goes way back. And um, uh, when I pray, I tend to want to pray for you as I pray for my own family, that, that God would bless you for your faithfulness. And I'm, uh, I'm uh, just honored to be here. We've been invited to come again and love to do that. As the Lord enables us to do that, we'd love to come again. Before I get too sentimental, let's go ahead and jump into John chapter 14 today. My greatest desire is not just to come and stand before you and and, uh, pour some more information into you. My hope is to take this word, this Bible, and, and apply it and and look at it very realistically. I'm I'm a firm believer in uh, the literal translation of the Scriptures, to read it and to read it literally. Now, our topic um, here regarding end times, regarding uh, what is going to take place, when it's going to take place, we didn't get into a lot of the when things are taking place because... I've said on more than one occasion that uh, very likely many people know a lot less about things that are going to take place in the future than what we would like to believe. And to make a hard, fast rule on things, uh, I've been guilty of it 
many of us probably, uh, I'm careful to choose or I'm careful uh, how to share what my personal opinions would be because there are authors that we have read from times past who have made strong statements concerning prophecy that in just a little while has proven to not be so accurate. And so we can look at signs and we can look at times, but I want to find myself leaning back upon what does the Word of God say. And so uh, regardless of how we stand, my topic or my assignment has been to talk about what is going to happen, what is going to be the experience of the believer after the rapture. And some would say, well, after the rapture, we're going to experience a full seven years of tribulation. And part of that is going to be God's wrath, but God is able to keep us during that just as he did the children of Israel in Egypt during the times of the plagues. And of course, the children of Israel had to go through a couple things there, but then the Lord spared them from most of those plagues. Uh, then some would say, well, um, we're going to have uh, three and a half years of some trouble, but then the Lord's going to come back, and before he begins to pour out his wrath upon the earth, he's going to whisk us away. Some would say that he could come back at any moment, and we need to be watching and, uh, and prepared for his soon return. Um, there's so much that the Bible has to say and that is, uh, that is included regarding readiness of Scripture, that I happen to be one that does believe that we need to be ready right. at any time. Jesus could come back and there is nothing established in Scripture that has to take place before he comes again. I, I can't find anything that would hold him back from coming. We go all the way back 2,000 years, we find that there were apostles that were watching for him to come. There were a lot of people that were looking for the coming of Messiah before he came the first time. They anticipated his coming, but they never knew exactly when. Now, many years later, of course, we read in Galatians that when the fullness of the time was come, it happened. That's not exactly the way it said it, right? When the fullness of the time was come, the Bible says God sent forth his son. And so we know that God has a time frame that he works on. And he, you would agree with me, though he appears to be a few days late, he's always just on time. And though he doesn't come when we feel like he should come, and though he doesn't move in the way we always want him to move, God always moves in a way that is best for us. I can imagine in my mind, and you probably can too, we're going to get to John 14 here in a moment. Uh, I can imagine what it may have been like for Mary and Martha to be wondering, where is Jesus? We sent word to him. We, we really would like for him to be here. Lazarus, we're just trying our best. We've, we've done everything we could to get word to him. And if you can just hang on a little while, he's going to be here, surely. 
But time goes on, and then finally, uh, Lazarus dies. And then when Jesus does show up, he's already told his disciples, we're going to go back and we're going to see, we're going to visit with uh, Mary and Martha, because Lazarus sleeps. Well, if he's sleeping, we should leave him alone. No, he says, he just comes out and lets them know, really, Lazarus is dead. That's what he meant by Lazarus sleepeth. He's dead. And when he gets there, he's down the road. Here comes Martha. Lord, if you'd have been here sooner, then you could have prevented this. Now, I'm putting a little of my own spin on it, but that's what it was. She was troubled because had he been there, Lazarus had not died. Lazarus could have been spared from dying. She knew that Jesus had the power to heal Lazarus. But now that he's dead, she's, she's struggling with this. And where there had been always wonderful fellowship, this time it was a little strained because her brother was gone. Jesus comes a little further, and here comes the younger sister, and she echoes the words of her older sister. Lord, had you been here, Lazarus had not died. You can almost hear the words, you can almost hear the message of Martha being repeated in Mary. And, uh, of course, we know the story there in John chapter um, 11, I think it is, where he, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He's always on time. Now, let's look here in our text, because Jesus has spent some very intimate time with 12 disciples. There were hundreds of them, not too long prior to this. Hundreds of them. Um, there had been 70 that he sent out. There were 12 that he spent more time with, and of the 12, he honed in on three. And of the three, there was one we find in the book of John whom Jesus loved. And so he poured his attention on uh, a number of people. He shared with them. He spent more time with the 12 that he had specifically chosen. He spent intimate time with the three, but there was something special about John. John records in chapter 14, let not, Jesus was say, saying, speaking here in your Bible, it may be in red, let not your heart be troubled, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. In these few chapters, Jesus has, has they of course, developed of a wonderful relationship. They were close to Jesus, but he's letting them know he's going to be going away. But he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. He's going to comfort them. He tells them a little bit later in the chapter, I'm going to send you another comforter. And um, he's going to be with you. He's going to teach us. He, he gives them some teaching regarding the spirit that would come. And um, while they had looked for the Messiah, they were they were stunned and amazed and had shared with each other that they had finally found him. Remember, remember, Andrew comes running to Peter and says, we've found the Messiah. Peter's not so uh, sure, but eventually, of course, he begins to follow him. 
John introduces some of his other disciples and some of John's disciples, John the Baptist, uh, leave and begin to follow Jesus. Uh, the others are chosen, and now they've had this relationship. They've become so close to him. They've, they've, they've stood within, and they've, they've, they've eaten in close proximity with him. They've, they've heard, probably, as they, as they journeyed from one place to another, they could hear his breath. They could feel the warmth of his body in close quarters. They were eyewitnesses of so many things. They, they heard all that Jesus had to say. Some of them more intimately as he expounded to them some of the things that he had taught to the masses. They did not, after they had longed for the Messiah to come, they did not want to hear the words that he was leaving and it broke their hearts to think that he would be leaving them. But I'm going to go away. Let's jump into the picture here now a couple thousand years later. Let's look into what it would have been like during those dark ages when, when everyone that was were believers were looking for, they had still lived in faith. We know that they were, they were there because here is Annas and here is, here is um, uh, what's her name in the temple, when Jesus comes as a baby, when they came to uh, offer up their sacrifice, these people had been watching for Messiah for years. They're elderly people. There were faithful people that were watching. And finally, he's come. Now he's going away, but he says, I'm going to go prepare a mansion, a place for you. And now we skip ahead a couple thousand years, and we're looking for him to come again. We know that he keeps his promises because he always does. <laughs> he kept his promise. Jesus comes. He kept his promise. He paid the price for uh, sin, and, and the sin problem has been taken care of. He's kept his promise in so many ways. He always does. But then there is a time coming when people will begin to scoff in the last days. Where is the promise of his coming, they will say. And faithful pastors will still come to their church on a Sunday morning early and pace the floor and pray. We'll open our Bibles throughout the week and we'll study and we'll, we'll prepare and we'll pray for the, the people in our church. We'll pray for the sick. We'll stand up behind pulpits and proclaim the truth of God's word by faith because it's not yet happened that Jesus is coming again. And uh, we're looking for that. My assignment again is, what will the experience be of the believer after the rapture? So now we've got to jump ahead, and it's already taken place, and we are with Christ. There are some things that we will experience. Last Sunday, we talked about the change that will take place a dramatic transformation. Uh, we'll not all sleep, the Bible says, the apostle writes, but we shall be changed. Right. Going to be transformed. Speaking of sleep, there will be those that will die, but we have this hope that they will live again. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And then the Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we, we began with that, that sudden 
in the, in the twinkling of an eye transformation that changes us from this vile, this corrupt, this mortal body and changes us. And we are assigned, if you will, we are uh, given a brand new, glorified, immortal body, not subject to death, not subject to infirmity or sickness or weakness or weariness. All of that is changed. We talked about judgment that's going to take place, the judgment seat of Christ. But everybody who is a believer is looking for something special. If somebody dies that we love, what do we say? Well, oh, it's just a terrible thing that they died. And we grieve, but the Bible teaches that as believers, we sorrow not as those who have no hope. And so just the other day, I, I saw a post that my mother put on her Facebook, uh, happy birthday or something, maybe it was a memory or something like that, to my dad in heaven. And as I opened it up and I looked into the face of my precious grandfather, that obviously I knew all of my life, I remember when Papa, as we called him, Davis passed away. He was the first one uh, that had died. And in my life, as I was growing up, uh, there had been some great grandparents. There were some distant relatives that had died. But this was the closest person to me that had ever died. And it just so rocked my world for my grandpa to die. I remember setting up and turning around, putting my feet down beside the bed and trying to imagine life without the one who had always been there. You've experienced it. There's not a person in this room that's not experienced the pain somewhere of death in our lives. And yet the Bible says we sorrow not as those who have no hope. I can't imagine what it would be like to not believe in Christ, to not know Jesus as my Savior to not have a relationship with the one who promises us eternal life. So as I looked into the face of Papa Davis, and I held down on my thumb like we can do these days, and it pops up a little drop-down menu, and it says, save pick. I'm going to save the pick, put him on my phone. I like looking back, and you know, uh, I'm the type of person that doesn't mind every now and then being a grown man to just think on things and have myself a good little cry. You might think, that's kind of sissy to not have a little cry, to have a little cry like that. There was a time, and this is way on a rabbit trail, and I'll shoot this rabbit and get back to the main road. There was a time when I would stand to testify, and I'd break down like I did just a little while ago, and I couldn't get through a testimony without crying, and I said, Lord, I'm sick of that. Take these tears away. And I dried up. And I went a period of time where I was just as cold and dry. I couldn't cry for nothing. And I dreaded it. And I begged God to bring. I distinctly remember in a church, I think it was off to the side. I was over on my face in the corner, up in front of the altar, kind of like here. In fact, it was in Texas. There, I bowed over in there and I was saying, Lord, please bring me the tears back. And it wasn't just tears Tears, tears, it was tears of joy and tears of feeling God's presence. It seemed as if it was gone. All of a sudden, they came back and they flooded me. Woo, they flooded me. 
once again. I felt complete once again. I felt whole. I felt almost as if God had healed me. <laughs> we sorrow not as those who have no hope. I've on purpose gone down in the basement and opened up the photo album of a child that we lost 33 years ago and just allow the tears to come. Something therapeutic, something healing, something comforting about just, it's been that many years, you still have, oh yeah, you just ask anybody that's been through some things like that, and oh, it's still real. But oh, there's something to know that I can at that time, all alone, it's not just me, I'm there being cradled in the arms of Jesus. Imagine what was going on through the minds of these disciples when Jesus says, I'm not always going to be with you. I'm going to go away. They hadn't, they hadn't a single clue what was about to transpire. Later, Jesus would go and he would have them prepare a room, an upper room. He would have what we now know as the last supper with them. They didn't know that. They're going to have the Passover. They were going to have what we now call the last supper. He's going to enter from that point into a, a, a new realm of his ministry that they were very ill-prepared for, crucifixion and death of their Savior, their Lord. They already recognized him as such. They knew that he was the Messiah that would come, but they, they weren't really, they were still a little clueless on all that was going to transpire. Ah, but there is something that we call the blessed hope. As I look at Papa Davis, I have this, I have this certain confidence in my spirit that that's not the end. Are you hearing me to this morning? That's not the end, but we will meet again. Praise God. In my Father's house, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so I want us to consider for a moment, because as believers, regardless of where we place a certain um, event in time, uh, concerning rapture or tribulation or seals or, or trumpet blasts or vials that will be poured out, regardless of judgment, what we really like to know about is the Father's house. Heaven. Heaven will be worth the journey when I get there. Aren't, aren't you glad for heaven? The picture that Jesus presents for his disciples and for us, because it's in our Bible, is the most, the most precious picture that we have of heaven. It's a picture of a heavenly home with a father. And of course, Jesus is going to be there. The father's house was a new concept for heaven. People of God had always known about the temple. They knew that that was God's house. They'd grown up going there. They knew what it represented. And every time they went there, there was sacrifice. There was blood. There was death. 
as they grew up, they recognized that the temple, though it was God's house, had become a place of big business, buying and selling, going on, the exchange of money, amen. Never had it ever been considered a place where one would feel comfortable there, safe there. It was never really regarded as home, but Jesus called it the Father's house. Sometime after Jesus had come to the understanding in his young life that who he was, now I'm not saying he never was God, he always was God, but being man, he, he comes somewhere along the line to the realization that he is the Son of God, and that he is going to fulfill the will of his Father. And the Bible tells us later on, he says it, it says, it's his own testimony, I always do those things that please the Father. And so we know that Jesus came for the perfect purpose of fulfilling the will of the Father. But for the first time, as a 12-year-old boy, when his mother and his earthly father sought him sorrowing, looking for him, he asked this question, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? It shouldn't be a surprise that you should find him in his father's house. He would later refer to the temple as his father's house. That word house in our text here in John 14 comes from a Greek word, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I always enjoy trying to pronounce them. Oikia. <laughs> How's that sound? Sounds like a neat place, doesn't it? It literally means residence. It means abode. It's a word primarily used in an actual building. It's also used to refer to the family that lives in that building, like a household, okay? Ikea. It's been used to mean the property. But in our text this morning, it's specifically talking about the place we know as heaven. Heaven is something we're going to experience after the rapture. Now, we might get there before the rapture, but after the rapture, there's an experience we're going to experience. There's something we're looking forward to, the glorious abode of heaven. Heaven, at this very moment, Jesus has a, has a human body that might upset your theology there, but he has a human body, although glorified. He is, he is a man that has a shape, head, face, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, arms, legs. I mean, Stephen is being stoned to death. He's, he looks up into the heaven. He doesn't describe a spirit. He says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And so he has this glorified body. What I want us to see is that this is a literal Jesus. He's in a literal place, heaven. Heaven is a literal place. Uh, scripture teaches that where he is, there shall also his servant be, John 12, 26. He is literally with God right now as I speak, as we sit here this morning. He is right now with God and with those who have died in faith. They're with him. We can know this for sure. While we can't fully grasp its greatness and we can't comprehend its reality, this thing we do know, heaven is indeed a real 
place. It's a literal place. Amen. Um, it's a place beyond imagination. But really, we can think of heaven, though it's beyond our full concept, we can understand it to be a place of security. It's a place of peace. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of rest. It's a place of joy. It's a place of happiness. Can I say it's a place of family? Amen. And so when Jesus calls it the Father's house, it, it just kind of, it kind of warms the heart. It kind of makes us want to go there. In fact, I preached a message some time ago, just simply heaven, don't you want to go there? Anybody here this morning want to go there? I want to go there one of these days. I don't want to go there today by any other means except rapture. But I do want to go there one of these days. In other words, I don't want to be shot and killed. I don't want to be eaten by a bear. I don't want to be <laughs> run over by a truck. I don't want any of that to happen. But I do want to go to heaven one of these days. Hallelujah. If we can wrap our minds around the reality of the many that Jesus is talking about. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we can, if we can wrap our mind around that as we ought to. I think we ought to try to imagine what it's like and take Jesus literally for what he said. It would cause us to, to see the fallacy of what some people think that, man, everybody around this world, they're all going to hell. There ain't going to be anybody up there. It's going to be a, it's going to be a quiet, it's going to be a lonely place, and we'll hear the crickets chirping. Nowhere do we read that in heaven. No, but there are many mansions. In my father's house are many. There will be thousands. There will be millions who will call that place home one of these days. Home. Amen. There will be those who will call that place home who weren't welcome in places on the earth. Let's consider for a moment Lazarus who sat at the rich man's gate. He didn't have a welcome at the table of the rich man. He didn't have the nicest of clothes. He didn't enjoy the best of food. But there's a place for Lazarus around the table in the Lord's house, in the Father's house. Some may not be able to afford the luxury of doctors and surgeons, but there's a place of health and wellness in the Father's house. Hallelujah. There are those who never had a place that they could ever truly call home. They've been fostered children that's been passed from one home to another to another. Amen. That's not home to them. They can never feel welcome in a place like that. In fact, some of those children that grow up in a foster environment never do feel the love that they would love that all of us really ought to feel of a father. Amen. They have sometimes, there have been those who have only known, in many cases, a curb a doorstep downtown, a bridge in some frigid place. But it's not going to be that place. It's not going to be the same when they get to heaven because there will be a place Jesus has prepared and the Father will welcome them there. You and I may never be invited to visit the White House or to sit down for dinner with dignities, but there's a place prepared for us at the Father's house. When we get to heaven, we won't have to stand at the door and explain why we're, why we're there. 
We won't have to introduce ourselves and, and let, them, let them know what our background is. Amen. It's going to be like a child who has come home and the room is already ready. It's going to be like when you go to visit friends. When we come to visit this past week, we got to Brother Sister Metzger's house. Brother Metzger took us up the steps and walked us into this nice room. And he said, this is going to be where you're staying. Whose bedroom is this? I said, he, he said, this is our bedroom. They, they prepared the nicest for us. Beautiful place. Comfortable place. Well, isn't, isn't it going to be a wonderful place and a wonderful time when we finally get home and we're finally around the Father's house and He's got a place prepared for us. Amen. Amen. And by the way, the Father is expecting us to show up. When you and I are expecting company, we would do nothing less than prepare the very best. And so also Jesus is making preparation for you and for me. And can I say to us this morning, Jesus satisfies. Say that with me this morning. Jesus satisfies. Amen. He's, he's comforting His disciples in this text this morning. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus has never lied to them. Jesus has never deceived them. Jesus has never let them go astray. Amen. This was comforting, teaching to them. Amen. Not only does Jesus satisfy, but Jesus never fails. Amen. Say that with me. Jesus never fails. The Father's house. So I say again, the picture that Jesus paints for his disciples in this passage, is most precious. It's the Father's house. Kind of makes me want to go home. Now, home now is the land of Goshen. <laughs> but the children of Israel were only to spend some time in Goshen. He had a place called Canaan land that he was going to take them to. And one of these days, you know what? We may be stretched all across this country and around the world. I saw pictures back there of missionaries. I see a plaque there, there from Sierra Leone. There are people that we know that love God that are stretched around the world. One of these days, home will be a better place. Amen. I'm trying to pay attention to the time here. It's 1037. Let's think for a moment of how great heaven must be. Oh, the loss these disciples must have felt when they learned that Jesus was getting ready to go away. The sadness that had come over them. By the way, death always brings grief. Always. But Jesus here is talking about his death, and at the same time, he talks as though he's going home. And that what we as Christians consider someone who dies in the faith, we call it a home going. They're going to be with Jesus. I'm going home with Jesus, the songwriter said. Amen. We pass from this place. Amen. And we've always known of another place, a, a, far, a far away place, a forever place. And a, a, it's a place that we can call our forever home. Amen. From, for some people, it's like trading one mansion for another. But that mansion up there is going to make this mansion down here look like the doghouse. But for others... It's like trading the old cabin, the old shack, the old, the old hunting trailer for a mansion that God has prepared in my father's house, Jesus says, are many mansions. Amen. And think about this. Uh, we're talking about the greatness of heaven. Jesus isn't talking about this meeting place uh, as if he had never been there. 
He's talking about it as if he has been there. I mean, we already mentioned the fact that it's a literal place, and he talks about it. He, he's he's interest, interested in us coming to be with him over there. It's not like he's a leader of a bunch of people that are following him, and they make their way up. Let's see, we go up this way to the top of the mountain, and he gets to the top of the mountain. He's the leader. He's led them. All the people are behind, and he's looking across the mountain, and he begins to look back and describe, oh, there's, there's more beauty beyond this mountain. There are trees and valleys and lakes and, and there are birds and there are grizzly bears and there are all these things. There's all this beauty, this glorious sunrise. But they've never been there yet. They're just kind of looking back and telling what they're seeing. Jesus is describing heaven like he's been there. And he has. He knows all about it. He knows what heaven's like. He can talk about it from the perspective of someone who has lived there, and he's encouraging his humble disciples that though he has to leave, he's not going to stay gone, but he's going to prepare a place over there for each of them, and he'll come back one day, and they'll go with him, and he'll have a place prepared. Praise God. By the way, there's room for them over there, and there's room for us over there. I remember growing up, my pastor, Megichi, after just about every sermon on a Sunday morning, uh, there were certain songs that he would have the organist begin to play, and he would give the invitation for someone to come and accept Christ. And many times I remember him leading that song, there's room at the cross for you. Listen, if there's room at the cross, that means there's room in heaven. Amen. In my Father's house are Many mansions. Oh, the greatness of heaven. I'm glad I heard about it. How about you? I'm glad I've heard about an escape from this old wicked world. I'm glad I heard about a place that's better than any place on earth. I'm glad I heard about a Savior that paid the price that I can go there. Let's uh, think, in a few minutes we've got left, let's think about the varieties of heaven. You know, I'm never... I never cease to be amazed at God's variety. I thought of this a lot of times. Uh, I mean, just traveling west from northern Indiana, as the hours go by, and there's many hours between here and there, the landscape changes. Another hour passes, the landscape has changed. I remember the first time I traveled out here with my mom and dad, uh, they were... I think following us in the back, we had CB radios. And so uh, we would talk back and forth on the radio to keep each other awake. And every, every time you turned around, one of us would say, wow, check out this scenery to the right. Check out this scenery to the left. We've said it so many times that our son, our youngest son, Timothy, um, uh, to this day, wherever we're at, somewhere I would say, Check out the scenery to the right. And so everybody in the, in, the, in the vehicle is supposed to look to the right. And we're all going to take in this scenery. I mean, just drink it in. And after a while, you wrap around some beautiful place, and then there's a big drop-off. And wow, the scenery to the left. So I'll say, check out the scenery to the left. And uh, one time, uh, Timmy made a comment. Check out the scenery to the front. <laughs> Check out the, sometimes I'll say, check out the th scenery to the 360 degrees. 
scenery everywhere, but all the variety. Imagine the way God operates. By the way, he only narrowed down the genders to just two. You don't want to say amen. <laughs> but that's just the case. It's male and female. It will always be that way. But outside of that, he made us big and small. Variety. <laughs> he put a bunch of hair on some people's head and he pulled a bunch of it out on some of the others. Yes, sir. Brother Zane back there, he don't have much time left. It's going, it's going to turn loose before it turns gray, I'm thinking. I noticed the scale in the bathroom goes from zero to 300 in the Metzger's bathroom. I doubt they've ever topped out at the highest speed. But there's a variety. Oh, we're, we're, now, let's go beyond that. We've got blue eyes, brown eyes, hazel eyes. We've got red hair, white hair, brown hair, gray hair, silver hair, blue and purple. That, that's not normal. But uh, we've, got, we've got all these different hues of colors of hair. Remember the song we sang when we were kids? Amen. Jesus loves the little children, red and yellow, black and white. Amen. We, we travel across the country. You go anywhere these days, you're going to see people with different hues to their skin. That's by design. God has planned it that way. He's a God of variety. Trees, evergreens. There's all kinds of evergreen trees. Then there's maple trees, oak trees, elm trees, weeping willow trees. What about the animal kingdom? There's animals that are variety all across these mountains, down in the valleys, animals of all kinds of varieties in the water, animals of all kinds of varieties in the heavens, in the sky. God is a God of variety. Amen. If we could use our imagination, though the Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. Amen. I believe that the God of variety, amen, is not just planted clouds for us to sit, amen, with a generic uh, uh, harp and play for eternity. No, there are mansions Hilltops, I don't know how it's all going to be. We know there's a sea of glass. We know there's a tree. Whether or not your animals are going to be there is a topic for another discussion. Know that horses will be there. Hello, we're riding horses, so there's going to be animals in this glorious place. Variety. I'm of the opinion that all the mansions that God is currently preparing for his children. There will not be one single one that will be identical with another, just like the snowflakes. There's not one that's the same as another. God is doing, and by the way, he's going to have it completely furnished to your liking and your sinless preferences. What you've enjoyed, what, was, what would make heaven heaven, he's going to do that for you and so much more. He is a God of variety. When we get there, I, I love to travel. There's going to be countless places for us to travel and visit. And all the glories of God's creation, we will be able to enjoy the variety. It's a real place. It's a great, grand, and glorious place. 
It is a, ver- a place of variety. But how much like home is heaven going to be? Amen. Even though heaven is going to be vast and rich in beauty and glory, we have the assurance in my Father's house are many mansions. We have the assurance that it's going to be home to us. I like that old song, and I don't know all the words right now. That sounds like home to me, right where I want to be, heaven. Somebody said, uh, in fact, when our son died, my grandma came up, and she wasn't real tall, so she didn't have to bend over very far as I was seated there on the front row. She leaned over and whispered in my ear, I've got more to go to heaven for than I had yesterday. We might say heaven's sounding sweeter all the time. Amen. Everything we can imagine that we would consider to be a part of the perfect home will be a part of what heaven will be, but it will be so much more. I'm going to wrap it up here with one last point, and that is this simple thought of the reality of heaven. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you if it were not. Jesus has proven himself trustworthy. He'll never lie to us. By the way, he never exaggerates. If heaven is that glorious, it's beyond our imagination. As beautiful as he can paint it, he's not exaggerating. When John began to describe that glorious city coming out of heaven, it was beyond what he could even describe. He had to say, well, it's like this. It, it's the best I can do is describe it as being kind of like this. Amen. When we get older, it kind of seems like life is fleeting and things are passing so fast. Amen. When we were young, we thought everything, everything was old. <laughs> when we was growing, you're either old, older, or you're the oldest. <laughs> but heaven, heaven, how time has gone by. I remember riding my bike all over town, through the parks, uh, riding skateboards. I remember traveling to my parents' house, uh, with my parents to my grandparents' house. Now, now time has flown by and my children are traveling. They come to my house. They don't have to travel far. We all live in the same town. They bring kids over that call me grand- or Papa and Grandma. How quickly life passes. No one can really be comfortable with the thought that life, when it ends, is over. We have this inner thought that there has to be something else. Death doesn't end it all, but there is, as Jesus promised, a literal place that has foundations, not made with hands, but whose builder and maker is God himself. It's a place of healing. It's a place of deliverance. It's a place where there's an end to all earthly toil and trial, labor and suffering. It's a a place where higher enjoyments and eternal life only begins. The desire for the Father's house gets bigger with each passing day. Oh, I want to see him. Oh, I want to be there. Oh, I want to be in the Father's house. Do you want to go to the Father's house? 
Amen. Can we raise our hands right where we're at? Let's just thank God for the promise of heaven. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for this promise of this glorious place called heaven. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that you've placed in our hearts. Lord, for home. Lord, it's a city that we can call homeland. Lord, we just long to go there. I thank you, Lord, for the promise that you've gone to prepare a place. Help us, Lord, to live ready, watching, waiting, Lord, for that, that time when you come. We give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name. I don't want to miss heaven. How about you? Praise the Lord. Come ahead, Brother Mike.